This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Well, how about another Beaver legend football player? I think legend is an appropriate word for Evanson Bernard. Thanks again for joining me on the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. Evanson, one of the best running backs in program history, joins me today for a fun conversation about OSU coming to Oregon State, his experience in Corvallis, mostly off the field, but some on the field stuff as well, and transitioning away from football into everything his life has included ever since. Second all-time in OSU history with nearly 4,000 rushing yards, top 10 in the conference history as well. Now uh, works for Capstone Wealth Advisors, moved around a couple different jobs, even used to coach football. He was a running backs coach, a GA for one year uh, after finishing up. Uh, 2007 was Evanson's last year. He's now married with Michelle, son's legend and major. And uh, so it's a really fun conversation with Evanson. Bernard spans a few different topics and uh, really great conversation with one, one of the best football players, one of the best guys you'll meet. So let's just get right to it. Here is Evanson Bernard. Really honored to be joined by Evanson Bernard talking about OSU football, mid-2000s. Evanson, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm good, man. When you say mid-2000s, make me feel old. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's been quite, you know, a couple years, a few years, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, life is good. You know, it's, uh, it's fun being a spectator now and just kind of watching the Oregon State football program. Um, kind of find their identity. So yeah, I'm super excited. Mid 2000s sounds like a long time ago, but it's still, I still picture in my mind, one of the first Oregon State games I ever went to was actually the 2007 game against Cal, which was in Berkeley. I was down in California. I grew up in Corvallis, but I was in Berkeley for that one. You scored the go ahead touchdown, the whole tackle at the end of Kevin Riley and what an upset that was. Yeah. Wow, man. That's the first one. That was a good one for you to go to. They had a lot of studs in that team. Um, you know, Justin Forsett was the running back. Uh, Deshaun Jackson was a receiver, and they had Desmond Bishop linebacker. Oh man, that was a that was a that was a star-studded team. And you know, obviously, I think we were just as good or better. And we just you know just out physical uh, played those guys towards the end of the game. And obviously, the Riley you know, mental collapse or whatever you want to call it. We'll, we'll, we'll blame, uh, we'll blame the coaching staff for that one, but <laughs> it worked out for our favor. But, uh, you know, obviously the, the quarterback was named Mike Riley and the kid that grew up, uh, in Oregon, which is a pretty crazy story, but yeah, that was a good one to start your, you know, your Oregon state football love passion, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it feels, it feels a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was right around that time I started watching and and I want to also ask about a story we just talked about this on the podcast when I chatted with HD Waddell and he said oh there was that one bowl game it was the Missouri one and I'm done all right 2006 Sun Bowl 39-38 and he yeah. he told this story about you I want I want to hear you kind of retell your own memory of this he he said I always give like a pregame pep talk usually like the night before with some sort of pithy message that you know kind of sticks with guys both for the game and beyond and he said the theme of that message was all in was was the phrase and he said that that played a role down the stretch of that game so tell me your memory of the end of the Missouri game yeah I remember the night before at HD we would have our little team chaplain deal or uh, get together and um, 
he all, he gave us everyone a dice. <laughs> and so he starts off, you know, gives you the dice and then he gives you the reason why he's giving you this dice. And so the whole like the whole night and then in the, in the morning, everyone had this dice for everyone, you know, that, that uh, deal that night before had this dice. And so it was very uh, ingrained in my mind that we're all in and this is the last one. And, a lot of the senior, I knew obviously the seniors, this was the last one, but my really close friend, Savvy Piscatelli, um, we played high school football and baseball together in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, part of the reason why I came to Oregon State. Um, and I knew just that, you know, like he, this is his last game. It's Matt Moore's last game, Jonas Newton's last game, and those those seniors. And I wanted to end it on a high note and be a part of that, uh, you know, that victory and how they remembered and how they left Oregon State. So, uh, you know, we had a timeout, Missouri, Missouri called a timeout. I don't know why, um, but we had to review a, a play. It might have been the Jonas Newton touchdown. We reviewed it. And during that time, that gap with a timeout, whatever it was, I just remember the light bulb went off and I was like, all in, we're going all in. And so I told Coach Ryan, hey, let's, let's, let's go for it, man. We talked about this last night with HD. We should be all in. Let's have that mentality. And Coach Rye's like, yeah, yeah. What should we run? I go, well, let's run like a, a fake a fake dive play and then throw it to Jonas Newton over the top or something like that. And he goes, no, we're just going to run the ball. We're going to give you the ball. I go, no. <laughs> that's not what I was, to, you know, that's not what I wanted. But anyhow, once he said that, I looked at all the guys, all the offensive linemen especially. I was like, fellas, this is it. This is it. This is the last play. Either we're going to go home victorious or we're going to go home, with, you know, with a big L on our chest. And so anyhow, uh, Riley went for it. And, you know, we all talked about the all-in conversation we had last night. And, uh, yeah, that's how that one ended up. So, yeah, HD, all credit HD on that, baby. <laughs> that's great. You actually added some to the story and corroborated his. I didn't even realize when you said it, it wasn't, you didn't want you to get the ball. You just wanted to go for it. But that's Yeah, I just wanted to go for it. I didn't want I was like, you know. But when he, when he called my name, I was like, okay, we're going to go for it. Let's do it. So, and got it. Um, I yeah, I still remember that camera angle from behind the formation and Matt hands it off and he kind of runs away. He's leaping up and down, seeing you get in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a classic uh, Matt Moore moment. I mean, that one, the other one, classic Matt Moore is when we beat USC and he's on, you know, he's on someone, he's on one of the offense linemen's shoulders and he's pretty excited and talking about that. But, um, but yeah, no, pretty awesome moment. <laughs> That's pretty great. That was end of 06. You end up finishing your career with the, another bowl win, the Emerald Bowl against Maryland. So some some fantastic games over your career. You kind of mentioned how you came to OSU briefly. I mean, Savvy Piscatelli played a role. You're coming from more than a few miles away to come to Oregon State, Boca Raton, Florida is a, yeah. a long journey. Now, there's no there's no one correct answer to this question. I'm going to ask you a question that you, you can't know the answer, but I want to ask just a hypothetical you you although you didn't get drafted out of OSU for football you were drafted by Minnesota not the Vikings <laughs> the Twins in in 03 uh the 2003 MLB draft what do you think your life story would have been had you chosen to sign a pro contract with the Minnesota Twins yeah man that's a tough that's a tough one because there's so much there's so many layers to that 
Um, at the time, my mom had passed away before that moment, once like three years before that. So it was just my brother and I, my uh, my father. And so, you know, financially, we were not in the best position. Um, and so life was tough during that time. And so for me, uh, it was either do I go to school um, and play out, you know, my football career, try to get a chance to walk on the baseball or not really walk. I probably would have made a team, but anyhow, um, I want to focus on football. That was my number one goal if I was going to go to college. And so, um, or was it take the hundred, I think like 10 or 20,000 that they offered me or take that um, and, uh, you know, be able to help my, my family out pretty quickly. Um, but then I thought, and I had a, honestly, I had an ex-girlfriend that was, gave me one of the best advices and she goes, hey, get your education. That's going to be the number one thing. Um, for you is going to school and, and playing the game you truly love and not doing it just for the money. And uh, that was the best advice, one of the best advice I ever got from anybody. Um, and so I don't look back at that. Um, yeah, I could have bounced around and I was a young kid, I was a kid, man. And I was gonna get on the bus with these grown adults that were gonna be chewing and, and drinking beer. And, and here I am, this little guy that doesn't know anything. I'm just like, ah, you know. Um, and so I think I made the, the right decision on coming, uh, coming out of Oregon State, being uh, part of a really special program. Um, at, and at the time, we were really on, on the rise and we continued to really have a lot of success, bowl game after bowl game after season. I mean, it was just crazy. So I don't, I don't regret it. I do regret not playing at Oregon State, I would have wanted I would have want to ring back to back on six and seven. Um, but I was just so focused on trying to become a starter on a football field. And then once that happened, I had torn, you know, my shoulder, my rotator cuff and whatever. Um, and so I kind of like was behind the eight ball from that point on. And then baseball was like, that last thing that happened, let me try to make it pro you know, playing football um, and, and obviously getting my education and graduated from Oregon State. Um, but yeah, I think if I didn't have as many injuries in college and uh, I probably would have had a chance to play uh, in the NFL, but I just had, I had too many injuries, man. It was, you know, at the combine, I remember like grading out as a D, you know, just because I had, yeah, I had the shoulder problem that they already knew I needed surgery on that and I didn't do it because I didn't want to miss a game at Oregon State. Crazy, I know. Nowadays, these guys, these guys would like be like, "All right, I'm done for the year." <laughs> and me being the guy that I was like, "Oh, it's all about my team," which I love, but it's a business. And I think now you're starting to see the more business side of uh, collegiate athletes. You're starting to see like, "Hey, I'm, I'm valuable, and uh, yes, the school needs me, right?" Um, but you know, there's the yeah, they need you because they need you to make money, for, or you need you to score touchdowns so you make money for the school so they win. And, so on and so forth. Um, and so, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's a little bit of a crazy subject. I don't want to go down the path, but I, I don't regret anything I uh, decided to do. Um, I am, uh, yeah, on, I'm definitely past that. And it's been fun to kind of obviously watch my brother um, reach that goal and, you know, going in his ninth season in the NFL, which is crazy. So um, I've had a pleasure to, I don't want to say live my life through him, but just see the success and, you know, that, that definitely brings happiness to me. So. 
Yeah, yeah. Geo's done some amazing things, and you you had a fantastic career. So on on behalf of Beaver Nation, we're we're glad that you chose Oregon State. Didn't didn't go to the Twins <laughs> organization. Uh, Absolutely. Did you have conversations? I mean, you, you mentioned briefly. It seemed like did you have conversations with Pat Casey and talk about playing baseball? So I don't know that full story. Yeah, I would actually go out <laughs> and have BP with those guys. Um, and, you know, Jacoby, Mitch Cannon, like all those guys too. Tyler, God, uh, like who, who else is, um, I think Cole Gillespie, all those guys, man, it was fun, man. I would, so yeah, I would probably do like, I probably did it combined six or seven times, just go play catch and go hit some balls. And, you know, it felt good, but I knew if I really like let loose when I was playing, you know, just catching the ball with those guys that my shoulder would pop out. It popped out all the time. And so the the swing and the bat just in the batting cage was a little more comfortable because I could, you know, control my shoulder from popping out. But yeah, it, my shoulder popped out from my sophomore year to my senior year. Uh, even when I played in Canada, it would it came out a couple of times. And, you know, it was just that old school mentality. Yeah, I'm good. Put it back in, you know. <laughs> just um, but yeah, um I had I had fun, man. Coach Casey's awesome and I ran into him um two weekends ago down in Paradise, Arizona for the tournament. So we talked a little bit about, you know, we bring it up once in a while and uh yeah, he wishes I played, man, because he knew I could play. And so um he just was waiting for me to make that decision and I didn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> do you think you would have gotten some playing time on those 06, 07 teams? You know what? I, you know, yeah, I would, man. What am I talking about? Um, <laughs> I think I would have, I mean, obviously Jacoby was in center field and that was my position and he was phenomenal. But I think he peaked out really when he made it to the, the bigs. I think that's when you really saw Jacoby. Jacoby was good in college, but I think he was a better pro, honestly. Um, crazy enough to say that. Um, and left and right, I think the right field kind of juggled around. I know Tyler would play there, and, um, and I wasn't, I didn't like that right field. I like center, man. I like being a captain out there, man. And the ball, the angle of the ball, I was so used to coming straight ahead. You know, I probably, so yeah, it would have been a battle. It would have been a fun battle, I think, because um, me and Jacoby both had good speed and uh, could hit the ball well. Um, and so, yeah, ooh, how did it go, man? <laughs> Once you came to, to Oregon State, we talked about, you know, coming here, the choice to do that. And once you get here, you know, obviously people mostly know your experience on the field. But I also like to ask the question, especially people who move into Corvallis. And I, I don't know what the demographic is in Boca Raton exactly. But you come to Corvallis and whatever it was in Boca Raton is probably more white in Corvallis. And whatever whatever you had in Boca Raton, because it's somewhere around 98% white in, in Corvallis. So, Tell me your experience, just just the story, whatever you know, the the experience you had of coming here and spend a lot of time with people who didn't necessarily look like you, the reactions you got, the community, the good, the bad, whatever you may have experienced in Corvallis. Yeah, um, Corvallis was interesting. I grew up in Boca Raton. It's probably like forty five minutes north of Miami. Boca was pretty white too. I'm not gonna lie, um, very mixed. But there was there was a huge Jewish population, huge Italian population. So you. It wasn't like white, I want to say, but like Caucasian white. Um, it was white, like on the out. But then, you know, they all came from all different places and spoke different languages. Um, then you had a huge influence of the uh, South America, too. You had a lot of Brazilians and uh, Venezuelans, Colombians, all that. 
Um, and so it was a different, you, you just never felt what you felt in Corvallis. Um, but I, I was used to being around a lot of white folks just from growing up in Boca, obviously, and going through the education system. But our education system in Boca would always funnel in the inner city kids. That was part of the, like how they, uh, whatever they did, but Palm Beach County has done a wonderful job on their school system where they're integrating a lot of those low income uh, neighborhoods within those uh, neighborhoods that are affluent. And so Boca was not what it is today, but Boca was kind of starting to take that that rise in wealth. Um, and we were very lucky to be a part of it and be, go through that school system, my brother and I. Um, but yeah, when you come out, <laughs> when I came out to um, Corvallis, uh, it was, I don't want to say it was shock, like, oh my God, it's all right, because I, whatever. Um, but it was just, um, how do I say it? It was a shock not seeing other cultures out there, I guess I would say, right? It was just like, wow, like, yeah, like if you sat down and thought about it, you're like, whoa, but you just, as you're going, like as a student, you're on the football team, right? This is probably the most diverse team on at Oregon State or mostly at any university was the football team. And so you never felt it then, so you so you forgot. But then, you know, when you went out and whatever, but then you got an influx of people wanting to like, oh, who, who are you? Like, just get to know you. And so you kind of forgot, like they weren't looking at you strange. They were just like trying to figure out who, what play you were or whatnot. Um, but yeah, for some kids, it was a culture shock. But for me, I could balance, I understood. Um, and then dealing with when I became, you know, I guess a household name, whatever you want to call it, um, I was still, um, I wasn't, I was more trying to figure out, you know, did that person recognize me or not, I guess. Uh, but then, you know, then you come to Portland, um, you have a little bit, and Portland's not that diverse, right? And so, um, yeah, it just, yeah, my, my, my uh, senses were somewhat blocked, but not really. I was always aware of my situation uh, just because of growing up in Boca a little bit, early stages. Um, and so, yeah, we didn't know any better, you know, I didn't know any better. Uh, but the kids that grew up in predominantly black neighborhoods, I think it was more um, of a shock for them than it was for me. So I, 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 I may want a roundabout way, um, but I can't. Yeah, it, it wasn't a this is that. This is like it just wasn't for me. I was always kind of in that situation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I appreciate that answer. That's kind of the key. A lot of the times is, you know, a lot of people cheer for the team and those players on game day and then the key is to do they want the best for those players treat them with respect at the grocery store the next day and hopefully most of the time yes but you know oftentimes not always not just speaking of Corvallis but um yeah I agree there are moments that yeah you have have always uh thought about that and um experienced a little bit of it and how you get treated outside of it um, I think for like a guy that didn't play much and wasn't very like people didn't really notice him out, it might have been a little bit tougher for them. But I always feel like people recognize me, so I didn't think of it like they're looking at me like crazy, like this black dude or whatever. But you know, still like to this day, I, I hear these stories and it is weird. Like it's it's all good when it's in between the lines, right, and on the football field. But when they get out of it, people look at them different. 
Um, and it's unfortunate um, that that happens, but it's just one of those things, man. And, you know, it's like, you know, people complain like, let's, let's, let's do better. Let's, let's change that. But you can't change that, man. You can't, it's just, it is what it is. And, you know, you got to know your, you know, when you're out in public, just be a little more careful and understand that's going to happen. You know, unfortunately, I know you probably don't want to hear that, but it's the reality, my man. <laughs> that's reality. That's reality. That's, that's uh, why well, I asked the question to, to get that, that reality. So I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I want to, sh- I want to ask one deep question to, to a different, on a different topic of, uh, I like to ask sort of the, the identity question, I guess you could call it, especially for, for athletes. Once they retire, you no longer have baseball or football or basketball, or whatever it is to, to fill that hole or whatever you want to call it. And every player has their own story of what that meant. So when you finally hung up the cleats after, you know, playing some pro football, especially up in Canada, eventually it did come to an end. So then you had to decide who is Evanson Bernard, what makes me valuable or motivated to continue getting up in the morning. So both then and if that answer has continued to develop over the years up to now, what what did you realize about yourself and, and see your put your identity in when football was no longer that thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a it's a it's a great question, and if if anything, I've, I feel like I've noticed more athletes um, are more open about their feelings about that. A lot of times before, people just kind of kept it to themselves, didn't want to talk about how they truly felt, and you know they would be you know either become alcoholics uh, or drug addicts or. Um, or, you know, find another means of selling, you know, maybe that's selling dope, right? Like athletes are going to, athletes are athletes. Athletes are going to, how do I say it? They're going to compete in any way they can. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, maybe it's gambling or whatever. Have, you know, so a lot of those athletes would find another way to compete, unfortunately. And sometimes it wasn't the right thing to compete in. Um, and for me personally, it was, it was tough. It was like, um, it was, uh, especially after you put all the work you've put out on that football field and for that university and all the hard work of, um, you know, the, the two a days, the, you know, tearing up your knee and tearing up your shoulder and fighting through it. You know, you don't feel, I don't think the university can ever truly give any athlete, um, what it's due, I guess. You know, people say, you know, Scotia, all right, cool, all right, that, that's great. And but what the athlete is doing for that university is, I mean, it's there's a lot. I mean, the football team, as we know, generates millions and millions of dollars for the campus and uh, brings eyes to that campus where you know the, the a lot of students don't want to go to a college where the, the athletic sucks i've never heard of you know unless it's like a harbor or something right um but if you're talking about a public school like in oregon state um you know it's it's the football team that's really making a name for the school and so um yeah i think uh players just feel like they're 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 devalued when they leave you know um, and they're just trying to find a way to um, get by in life. Just get somebody who's just trying to figure it out, just trying to get a job, and then having to deal with the um, letting your family down, letting your friends and family back at your you know school down because they all thought you're going to go to the pros and all this. And so dealing with that pressure on top of feeling like the school just kind of left you behind and not really trying to help you find a job. And I know the 
most schools now are football programs. They have programs, and Lexus is doing a great job with the Beyond Football program to help these kids get opportunities outside when they're done. And then, you know, just the mental space and trying to help those kids mentally get through it. But it's a tough spot to be in. And for me, um, I've been, I was very lucky to have some really good people in my corner to kind of help me in HD. Um, you know, it was a huge help, of, you know, in that even Coach Riley was a huge help, just trying to guide me and help me and brought me back. And I was a GA for a year with Oregon State before he took off to Nebraska. Um, but I had opportunities, but um, I always felt like football, I didn't really, I never reached my goal there. Uh, and uh, it's it's crazy because I'm really good friends um, with a lot of those guys, but especially Steven Jackson, you know, he deals with it too, right? Like that image of who he is. And I'm like, dude, you're going to be a Hall of Famer and you're tripping out about that. But um, that's the uh, the passion that athletes have for success. Um, and uh, it lingers. It hangs there. Even still to this day, I bring, you know, I bring it into my work. And, you know, as a financial advisor, like one of my goal, um, my biggest thing why I made this leap was, one, um, I wanted to help student athletes that, you know, maybe have a chance to play in the league for a couple of years. And I want to steer them in the right direction to make sure they don't, you know, end up on, a, you know, the documentary 30 for 30, um, you know, and, you know, just have good people in their corner. But um, yeah, anyhow, I'm kind of going through going on a tangent here. But um, yeah, my passion is definitely helping, you know, former teammates and, and future, you know, NFL guys and, um, you know, have some sort of you know, direction and, um, you know, just kind of keep them on the right path because it could be tough. It could be super tough. And I've seen a lot of guys, teammates that are struggling still to this day um, from that absence of, you know, not being, you know, that guy anymore. And, uh, but yeah, like I said, I think I've been fortunate, very fortunate and um, had opportunities where I found success in different things that made me think, hey, I could do it, right? I was a fundraiser at Oregon State for, four years, um, coach for a year. Um, and so I kind of went to, through some things and worked at Nike. And so I kind of went through what I really wanted to do. And uh, at the end of the day, I love helping people out. That's what I figured out. And that's where my success lies. And um, being able to go through that journey with somebody is really an awesome experience. So yeah, I, finally, I think I finally found something I'm passionate about. So I don't think about those football days. I mean, once in a while you see them and you know, I'll see the guys that I came out with, you know, Chris Johnson and Jonathan Stewart and McFadden, God, the list goes on. Um, guys I play with that, you know, we're at the combine with and they're still playing or just retired. And I'm like, damn, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, it's, it's all good. Yeah, that, that's cool, especially finding something you're passionate about now. Let, let's close with a final question or two about what that looks like day-to-day -day now and how you're able to to help people in this current job. You've been with Capstone Wealth Advisors since 2019. So tell me about how you do that in your current job, helping people, what that looks like. Yeah, so uh, I was blessed with the job from uh, from the foundation I met with actually another former, two former football players um and you know i was asking them for some cash for one of our projects that we had and they're like yeah Ev, um, this is what we do i go okay do you have a business degree or like whatever it's like nope i don't um but you know that all the other stuff we could we could teach i think the number one thing that you have is 
um, your relationships and you're a people person and you love to please people. I think you do great in this, this job. And I go, okay, well, let me get back to you. And um, yeah, and so I started off with Edward Jones with the company was um and um yeah so talked to them did it went through the process jumped in and in my in the back of my mind the whole time too not just getting this job and having an awesome career and and really you know uh, getting paid well for it um but it was just my thing i wanted to help uh athletes out man just seeing especially i think black athletes uh in this space the financial um world is is dominated by white older males and so when i came out my advisor was a white older male right um and so i always um i think a lot of those players always relate oh financial advisor white older male that's what it looks like i'm gonna go that direction um and i want to break that because that financial advisor most likely 90 percent of the time has never gone through what a African-American has gone through at a young age from growing up in a rough neighborhood, having the success and having all these random uncles and whatever, you know, mom and dad and whatever asked for money. Um, I wanted to be a guy where I would come in that space and go, listen, I understand what you're going through. I've been there before. I'm helping my brother out, like, you know, and so being someone that they could relate to um, is huge. And I think this, this space is, um, you know, was at the time two years ago when I got into it, I felt like it was, um, there wasn't enough people and there were, and it, it needed to be addressed. And this is before the whole Black Lives Matter, whatever, all that stuff. Um, this was way before that. And so, um, I've always had a passion to help young, um, African-Americans out, um, coming from all walks of life and my, I'm a Haitian. I come from, my family's from Haiti, so I was the first born in the States. And so um, football is a huge in our culture. And um, I wanted to be able to, I speak the language. So, you know, I, can, I can't even imagine if I met a financial advisor that spoke Creole to me when I came out. It would have been awesome to be like, yeah, this is so cool. I can relate. We can talk about other stuff, you know. You know, those older white dudes, like they can't really relate to these young bucks, like, or, you know, whatever they're talking about. Like, yeah, you know. My uncle asked me from like, like, I thought this money just for you is just helping you out. Like not the whole family, but no, a lot of these kids, man, like they're helping a lot of people out. It's not just one person. Right. And so being able to say me, I would love it. Like I've had that moment where I had to step in and talk to an uncle, be like, listen, you know, you know, uh, Ryan can't do this right now, man. Let's just wait. Right. Like the, he doesn't have these, you know, and so having that tough conversation, with family and friends. So for me to kind of be the guy that can buffer those conversations out um, and, you know, just and, to, and, and get down and give them the real talk, man. But man, you can't, you cannot buy that right now. You can't afford that right now. Right. Um, and so, yeah, man, it's been, it's been amazing um, working with, you know, uh, some ball players, but also working with Oregon State, you know, alums and or people that are just love Oregon State and or, you know, so I get to pick who I work with, which I love, like, you know, the foundation I couldn't pick. <laughs> I just had to pick up the phone call, make these calls. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't grueling by any means, but you kind of got tired of talking about that two point conversion, you know, <laughs> there's so many times, you know, um, but now this job's been awesome. And, you know, teaching financial literacy, too. I do some stuff on the side, a little podcast with some friends and 
you know, just uh, we want to change that narrative for the African-Americans um, and the Haitians and anybody, any minority, you know, where that, that conversation of money is not awkward. Um, I want to be um, a person that makes it, you know, puts, put them at ease and, um, you know, sometimes, you know, some of, my, some of the people I bring on, I should, I really shouldn't be taking them on, but I want to help them on. I want to help them. You know, I see something, I'm like, you know what? I'm not worried about making whatever off this person. I just want to help, right? And just like steer them in the right direction um, and make them feel comfortable and important. Um, so that's been really fun. So yeah, not a great career move. I, I'll be here for a while. I don't think I'll be making any career moves after this, uh, but it took a while to find out what I really, really, really wanted to do. So yeah. That, that's great. Last thing real quick, if people want to listen to that podcast that you're part of, how do, how do they find that? Yeah. Oh, I could send you the link. Um, it's called Black Athlete with a Q, um, B-L-A-Q, uh, athlete. And uh, it's another former being Dorian Smith and then a former uh, student at Oregon State alumni, um, Jonathan Riley, uh, and then actually Phil Ross, another former football player. So, yeah, there's um, two other ball players and one other guy that uh, went to school with Dorian and I. And, uh, yeah, we... Uh, I could send you the link, but it's really cool. And we, you know, we, um, we just, it's kind of like the barbershop conversation about finances where it's like chill and, and cool. And, you know, not like, you know, buy, you know, Bitcoin or anything, like that, <laughs> but just learn how to save and build credit. Right. Um, little things that, you know, we teach our, well, I'm, I teach my younger clients, you know, just, you know, the, you know, max out your 401k at work you know, build your credit, save, like just little stuff, nothing, you know, crazy, man. We keep it simple, but we want to make that conversation very easy. And, you know, we, we're not using these huge words that people are lost, right? They're like, well, what's that, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's the barbershop of finance, talking, chatting, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. That sounds great. Hey, Evanson, thanks so much for your time and coming on the podcast. Really been fun to chat with you. Absolutely, man. Thank you. That was a lot of fun to talk with Evanson. I really enjoyed his answers on, on a number of different topics. We ran out of time. The one other thing I wanted to ask him, since he did coach running backs at OSU in 2014, that was Mike Riley's last year, well, Oregon State recently had an opening for their running backs coach, and I wanted to ask, hey, when Michael Petrie left, did you get an itch to to call up Jonathan Smith and say, hey, I'm available? I, I would have asked him more as a joke. I'm pretty sure that Evanson is, is happy uh, with his job with Capital Wealth Advice and uh, pretty pretty solid there and, and want some consistency so I, I'm you know would ask more as a joke anyways and so uh, I'm, I'm sure he's set so anyways thanks again for tuning in thanks to Evanson for joining me on the podcast hopefully get some more uh, teammates from that era really fun era beaver football in that span as well real quick I want to mention various charities in this podcast give some free advertising to nonprofits. Children's Garden is one of the ones I like to talk about. A couple people that I know personally who run this organization in the Philippines, they live there um, near this home where they've got some staff there that help kids who are living on the street, about a dozen to 15 kids who get education. Um, they come in and have you know resources to succeed at the next level. They oftentimes go on to college and just uh, have some really, really amazing stories. Um, it's called Children's Garden. I'll put a link to their uh, website and you can donate if you want to help out their mission over in in uh, the Philippines. Again, my name is Josh Warden. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. 
And uh, look forward to doing some more episodes and the Beaver Tales documentary series called Dynasty in the Woods, the Beaver Baseball documentary. Uh, I wish I'd talked to Evanson earlier. Maybe we would have included him. Maybe I'll still throw in one or two clips there, uh, mostly done with a lot of the episodes. But maybe I'll, I'll throw in a clip, just a, a quick reference. Hey, mid-2000s, we're going to go back in the history of Beaver Baseball. One of the players who could have been on that championship team but wasn't, Evanson Bernard. That'd be kind of fun little footnote in Beaver Baseball history. All right, until next time on the Beaver Tales podcast, I'm Josh Warden. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day, everybody, and go Beavs!